Paul the Apostle wrote an entire book, the book of Galatians, about one big idea. And that is how we as men are able to take something that God intended to be good and we turn it around and we use it for evil. You see, you can have something that is holy, righteous and good if it is used for what it was intended for. But if you take it and you use it for something else, it can become an evil thing instead of the good and righteous thing it originally was. And this is exactly what Paul wrote about. He talked about what we know as the law of God, his instructions. And he wrote to these people who were taking it and twisting it to be used for something it was never made for. And so even though God said that my law is holy, righteous and good, and even Paul, the apostle himself said that in the book of Romans, these other men came along and they used it for something totally evil, even to the point of denying the work of Christ. Because, see, the law was made to help us to see how do we walk in righteousness? How do we not sin? Because sin is when we break the law. How do we walk like our Messiah did? But see, the law was never made to be the thing that saves us. It was never about how much good I can do so I can save myself. Because newsflash, if you were able to do that, you wouldn't need Jesus. And that's exactly what happened As many men came in and they started saying, well, if you can keep the law well enough, you don't need Jesus. What you do is enough. It will save you because you can be a good enough person if you just try hard enough. You just need to try a little harder. Well, don't. You know, and that's where they were leading these people. But the point is, is that an idea was rooted in such pride because to believe it, you need to believe that I am actually good enough and able to have such holiness and good works that I can get myself into heaven without the help of Jesus. And you need so much pride and blindness to believe that. And so, but brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you. That even though sometimes intellectually we can we can grasp what I just said, we can still live in a place of guilt, shame and condemnation brought on by a wrong and a misapplication of the law in our lives. Because see, here's what happens. You go and you, you you're trying to please God. You have a good heart, right? And you're and you even believe in Jesus. You be, you say, oh, he's my salvation. He's the one who saves me. And you trust in him for that. And that's glorious. But then what happens is you make a mistake and you fall. And by the way, you will fall. You will make mistakes in your life, right? We will um, fall short of his glory. And when that happens, oh, guess what happens? Satan, that lion that is, he walks and he's looking for someone. He's seeking to devour someone and he sees you making a mistake. And he runs over and he says, Wow, you just sinned. That's a horrible thing you did. You know what? You don't deserve the Holy Spirit. You you will never be used by God because of that sin that you have, that, that mistake you made. You are so unholy. 
You are so condemned. You are so full of shame and you ought to fear and you ought to be just go, go, go hide in the closet and don't dare come out and don't dare try and do anything for God. Does that sound familiar? Because that's exactly what Satan does. He comes and he tells us these things. He uses the law, what God's holy standard is, because truly he has a standard. But he uses it for something it was never intended for. And that is to determine your salvation, to determine your right standing with God, to determine whether you're qualified to receive the Holy Spirit. My sisters, if you know the truth, you ought to know that the law and your keeping of it has no bearing on whether you receive the Holy Spirit, no bearing on whether you get saved. If you think it's got any bearing on whether you receive the Holy Spirit or not, go tell that to the men in Acts 2 who got baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues before they ever thought about keeping one law. Because they weren't there. They weren't keeping anything. They were sinners. Some of the the men in that crowd were even the ones who were responsible for cheering for the crucifixion of the Messiah. And they were good enough to get the Holy Spirit somehow. How was that? Not because they themselves were good enough based off what they've done, but it is because we are now after the resurrection, after what Jesus did, and now his righteousness became imputed to those men. And because of what he did, not what they did, what he did, they were now good enough to receive the Holy Spirit, to come, to have power come upon them, to have salvation come on them. All these things, it was not based on what they did. So brothers and sisters, here is the lie. The lie is that you are still under the law. That's what Satan is going to try and tell you. And, you know, when we say under the law, some people don't know what that means. They think it means it means we don't keep it. It means we don't try and be obedient. That's not what it means. Under the law is simply when you break it, you're under the law. You're you're under the law, not when you stop at a stop street at a stop street. You're under the law. When you drive right over that, you're pulled over by a cop, dragged in front of the court, and now you're held under the law because you broke the law. Right? But that's what Christ saved us from. He basically paid our ticket for us. He basically said, I take the punishment of the law upon myself. You are not going to be under it anymore because I took all of it. It doesn't mean you go and you you drive over every stop street now. No, it means you stop at every stop street, even more than you previously did, because you know the fine that he paid. And so now you're not going to dare break the law again and again and again and again and again, because you love him and you have respect for what he's done for you. And so because we're not under the consequence that comes when we break the law, when when I say break the law, I'm talking about when we make a mistake. I'm talking about when we earnestly seek God, when we earnestly want to be like him. But we make mistakes. We're going to fall here and there. We're going to have faults. I'm not, however, talking about rebellion. There's a difference. There are a sin that is rebellion against God that is going and just doing these horrible habitual things against God. And you know what you're doing and you're doing it and doing it and doing it. And you're not repenting. You're not turning. You're not. You're just going. That's different. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the person who wants to please God with all their heart, mind, soul and strength, everything they have. 
And so we are who are in him, who believe in him, who want to walk like him. We are free. We are free indeed. So don't let the enemy come and place this condemnation, guilt, shame and condemnation on you. Brothers and sisters, listen, you are not supposed to live with one second of guilt, shame or condemnation in your life if you are in Christ. If you are truly in him, guilt, shame and condemnation is not supposed to be near you. And if it is, you are listening to Satan's voice. Because the Holy Spirit convicts. Yes, he does. He comes with a gentle correction and conviction, but he doesn't condemn. Because why would he condemn you if he has set you free? Why would he put guilt on you if he has come to set you free? Why would he, sh- he shame you if you are free indeed? He will simply correct you in gentleness and he will cor- he will come and bring and he will show you you have done this. You have done this. This is wrong. Turn, repent. Yes, of course, that's who he is. He will come to convict the world of sin is what he said. And so now that conviction hits our heart and we repent. But we don't live in guilt, fear, shame and condemnation. And so now what happens thereafter is now some people, they start getting hurt because they start feeling like they the, the enemy comes and they, he tells them you're, you're not good enough. You, you can't work for God. Go sit in the closet. Go stay away from ministry. Go. You're in bondage, blah, blah, blah. And the enemy comes. He tells these things to, to you because of what you've done, right? And now someone else, some fake false prophet comes, some false pastor comes, whatever. And he tells you, oh, you don't need to keep the law. It was actually the law's fault that you are feeling this way. So you know what? Just don't keep the law at all. Just just throw the law out. Just just forget about the law, because if you forget about the law, then you won't feel this way anymore, because now the law can't accuse you anymore, right? But the problem was never the law itself. The problem was the way it was used. The problem was not that the law is is, there's something wrong with the law. The law is perfect. The problem is, is that you thought that you are approved by God and and saved and get the Holy Spirit because of how you keep the law. That was the problem. You misuse the law to make it something that it is evil for now. But it is not the law itself that was evil. It is how you used it and your misunderstanding of what it is for that is evil and how the enemy has twisted the law that is evil. That is the evil thing. Stop saying, oh, it's the law's fault. It's not the law. That's the problem. It's you. That's the problem. And what you how you understand the law to be used. Instead, we repent from our breaking of the law and we say, Father, forgive us. And Father, I thank you. You forgive me because that's his promise. And John, he writes, he will forgive us if we repent. And now we run. Because the law does not determine our standing with God. The law does not determine, oh, am I going to be able to pray for someone and see them healed today or not? That's not what the law is supposed to be for. Brothers and sisters, if the law was the thing that determined your value before Christ, why would he die for you before you ever kept one law? If, if, the, if it is how well you can do this that determines your value, why did he die when you were still a sinner? He should have then only died after you became a perfect man. 
Because then you were valuable enough because of your works. No, you are valuable because of who you are, because you are a son of God, because he made you. That in itself is your value. It's not determined by what you do. But now that you understand you're a son, now you start walking in honor of that according to the instructions and law of God. And now your life is actually a life that is a good representative of what who you are. You're part of this family line, this royal priesthood. And now you can walk it out as an example to others. That's what it is for. But it's not to determine your position. The prodigal son went out, right? And he went to, with the, to dwell with the pigs and then he came back. Why did the ma- his father let him back into the house? Was it because he was keeping the law now perfectly and he was a perfect man? No, because if that was the case, he would have never let him in because he was dwelling with the pigs before. But he re- let him back in because he was a son. Because he was his father's son, because that is the thing that identity of being a son of the father was the thing that determined his value in his father's eyes. You see, brothers and sisters, that is what determines your value. That is what determines what, why God would want to use you. Why it's not about what you've done. So what do we do? What is there left for us to do? It is simply to go. And understand what the law is for. It's not there to determine your position with God. It is there to show you your sin. And then when it does, you turn from it. You say, Father, I thank you. Did you forgive me? Because he promises he does. I thank you, Lord. I turn from it. I stop doing it. He then forgives us. We go, we go on with our lives. We run in freedom from guilt, shame and condemnation. We do and spread the gospel. We continue with all these things. And then there is hope. We don't have to worry and live in a place of fear. I remember one day I, uh, I spoke to a man and I asked him about casting out demons. Has he ever done that before? And he told me, Petey, I'll do that one day. I just need to keep the law a bit better. I just need to do a bit more. And I was like, what? You're never going to be used by God to cast out a demon in your life if you think it's dependent on how well you keep the law, because then you've disqualified yourself from being used by the Holy Spirit. If you think that's how you get him. But you need to understand, you need to paint from your pride and believe that it is not your you can't be good enough on your own. It is only what he's done. And because of that, there's freedom because he's the one who did it. And now I can just be free. I can just walk in power because it's his power, his authority on me. And I can just go forth and do it. And now I can just be and I can just do his instruction. I can do his law, but there's no condemnation when I make a mistake. I just turn around from that sin or pain and I go along and there's freedom, freedom, freedom. That's what this the good news is. This is the good news. This is the gospel. It's not a gospel of lawlessness. It's also not a gospel of 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 uh, lukewarmness or spiritlessness. And so I want to leave you with this Romans 7 verse 12. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Written by Paul, the whole writer, the author of Galatians himself. And what did he say also? Do we then nullify the law by the faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. 
So, brothers and sisters, I hope that this makes you see that you are to uphold the law. But don't let the enemy use the law and come and accuse you by it when you are no longer under it.